This is my true love, The Office. There could be no better thing to talk about. Welcome back to That's What They Said, the podcast that discusses the TV show, The Office, like never before. So watch out for Golden Face, clean up aisle five, and get to the conference room stat because it's time for the show where a father and son break down The Office and we do all kinds of fun stuff and we are counting down the top 10 episodes of The Office. Eva, Eva and Griff, would you like to recap so people know where we are in the countdown? All right. Well, let me just say that again because my notification. And we count down the top 10 episodes of The Office. So, Griff, would you like to recap the top 10 and where we are right now? Sure. Our first episode was the number 10 slot, which was basketball. And then came Company Picnic, The Injury, Dinner Party, Stress Relief, Part 1 and Part 2. Those are two separate podcasts. Number five was Office Olympics. Number four, The Fire. Number three, The Dundies. And And finally, we're up to this week's. Threat Level Midnight. Yeah. Woohoo. Quite an accomplishment, Threat Level Midnight. What do you think of when you think of it first? Like, um, just in general. The great lost film of Michael Scott. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, I will read the synopsis of this episode. It's, I think we've both been really looking forward to getting to this. Yes. So this is one of, obviously, it's our second favorite right, of all right. time, but it's got a spot. We got a spot spot. Yeah, it's also. Midnight. It's also the most complex and probably ambitious uh, episode, would you say? Agreed. Or, or it's a movie within a movie. It's all kinds of stuff. It's the 17th episode of the seventh season, originally aired February 17th, 2011, written by B.J. Novak and Tucker Gates. B.J. Novak, of course, plays Ryan the Temp. So in Threat Level Midnight, Michael Scott screens his action film, Threat Level Midnight, to the office after 10 years of writing, shooting, reshooting, and editing. The film's characters are played by people who have either worked at Dunder Mifflin in the past or those who Michael has interacted with over the last few years. So what's cool about it is Michael gets everybody excited to watch this movie. He sort of hoodwinks Aaron into telling everybody to get excited Mm -hmm. about it so they can go to the conference room and watch Michael's original film. The episode consists of moments from Michael's silly self-made film and then reactions from the people in the office. Mm -hmm. So you kind of get both. And uh, let's see, Pam and Jim are, well, they're part of the cast, obviously. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to find my place here. But they all play various characters. Jim in the movie plays Golden Face, the villain. Michael plays his alter ego, Michael Scarn, the, the hero his sidekick, Dwight, plays his robot sidekick. Is his name just Dwight in the movie, in Threat Level Midnight? Um, I think oh so. Oh, my God, no. It's, it's, is it something else? It's Samuel? We'll get there. Oh, yeah, you're, I think you're right. I think <laughs> it's Samuel. Yeah. Towards the, in the middle of the episode, he's trying to impress Holly this whole episode, who's not in the movie. She's in the office presently. Michael gets angry because Holly is, seems to be unimpressed. He considers it his dream, offers the rest of the office opportunity to finish seeing the film, which then they happily accept. Then Michael eventually notices how the film is not very good. He steps outside and tells Holly that it's a bad film, but also people are having fun watching, so they sit down and laugh, and that's the end of the movie. And Threat Level Midnight, of course, concludes with Michael Scarn foiling his nemesis, Golden Face. Does that say it pretty much? Yes. Okay. So we do all the categories on this on this podcast and the first one we want to do 
his best lines. Griff, do you want to kick it off? I only have two best lines. I didn't have a lot either for some reason, but they're all gold. Like you could argue for any line being the best line. I love, he says it twice. Michael Scarn says it twice. First in the opening says clean up on aisle five. (laughs) Yeah. That's his uh, Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger like tagline, which it's doubly funny because it doesn't really mean anything. Right. Right. (laughs) And then when he accepts the mission from the president, he again says, looks like there's going to be cleanup on aisle five. And then everyone starts cheering for him. It's like some like weird cheesy line. Yeah. And then my other favorite one. This is here. I'll play that in the opening scene. It's going to be a weird opening because it starts off in the office, but some mailman comes in and then reveals he's a killer, starts firing at Michael, somehow dodges all the bullets and then fires back. Clean up on aisle five. (laughs) And that's how Threat Level Midnight begins. Anyway, so what else you got for good lines? My second line is actually delivered by Creed. I think it's his only line in the entire episode. And it's when, Michael, you said guilt Aaron into like telling the office that he has a home movie that he's made and he'll only let everyone watch it if they're dying to see it. And they all look around like they're all really excited. And Pam says, we'd love to see it. And when Michael says, oh, that, oh, great, I'll go get Holly. Like, I'll go tell Holly. Right. Uh, Pam stands up and she delivers like this whole spiel. Like, we have to be sensitive of his feelings. Right. Like, remember what happened last time. Right. And then she said, we'll have like a pure fun day. And then Creed looks at her and just says, thanks, mom. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't know if Creed is like being serious or not. Like, for, for in that moment, he might have actually thought Pam was his mom because he's nuts. I only had, I had clean up on aisle five too, because how could you not? I had the line where, and we're going to get into this scene because it's a mysterious scene, but Jan, Michael's former flame Jan, plays a jazz singer named Jasmine Winsett. They call me Jasmine (laughs) Right, who sings her name in the song for some reason. Very funny little bit, but for some reason, she has a secret to where the hostages that Michael are seeking is are being hidden. She, Michael, she works for Golden Face. She works for Golden Face. She figures out a way. We'll get into this later to secretly tell Michael where the hostages are. But then she gets instantly murdered by one of the Golden Face's henchmen. She falls down dead on Michael's piano. He's playing the piano, of course, in the jazz bar. <laughs> Michael turns to the camera and just says check please (laughs) (laughs) and he says it and his voice is like hoarse almost like it looks like he has like it sounds like he has a frog in the story it's like check please yeah right and then the only other one i had was it just the the hatred that michael has for toby holds no bounds and in this film he casts him as one of the hostages but in golden face just to make a point takes a gun and fires at point blank range and blows Toby's head off. And Michael has this terrible special effects to make it look like mm-hmm. a dummy's head is blowing up. Easily the most expensive shot of the film, but the, integral to the story. Integral to the story. But then the line I like is just immediately after it goes, Michael Scarn says to Goldenface, jokes on you, Goldenface. That man was a known animal rapist. He's he was a wanted a, a animal wanted, rapist. It, like rapist wouldn't have been good enough or animal no. music <laughs> good enough. He has to be an animal rapist because that's how much stuff. So that's all I got for lines. Should we move on to trivia, Griff? Should Absolutely, we, we right. should. Absolutely, we should. As Jim or Dwight would say. You want me to hit you first? Please. Okay. In the prologue to Threat Level Midnight, we see various clips that Michael Scarn has been involved in thwarting terrible terrorist actions. In fact, 
there are three leagues mentioned for Michael saving the day, and then there's one where he doesn't save the day. These are pro sports leagues. Yeah. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking? I know about? one. What? I know the WNBA for sure. Yeah. Is on I'm, there. Yeah. How so? Do you know? I have no idea. So he had, the premise of the silly movie Threat Love of Midnight is Michael has to save the NHL All Star Game for right. the terrorists. That's this one. But the right. But the earlier clips are he he already saved the day for the NFL. Uh, all star yeah, and the game, MLB, the MLB the, and NBA. Right, also, he's going for the fourth, but then, uh, then the fourth one depicts, like you said, the WNBA said so the WNBA blown up by a terrorist because Michael Scarn was like not available or despondent over the mm-hmm. death of his wife or whatever. So that's number one. Ed Helms, who of course plays Andy Bernard in Threat Level Midnight, plays a old timey bartender with a terrible accent. Do you know what the, that character's name is? Oh my god. Never change. Right. Don't ever change. No idea. Begins with a B. Billy. Don't ever change, Billy. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it's a terrible, like, ripoff of a film noir or something. And let's see, I got, oh, this is going to be a hard one, I think, but I'll give it to you anyway. That's what she said. <laughs> I have two of them. That's what she said. You got the slow one and the fast one. And the Griffin Yaz one. In two th- and, right. In 2018, Wide receiver Trey Quinn caught his first touchdown pass ever for the Falcons, I believe. And after he caught the touchdown pass, he celebrated by doing what? The Scarn? That's right! <laughs> That's right! Amazing! The, the the silly dance depicted in Threat Level Midnight. He actually did the Scarn, and then he's only had one other touchdown in his career. I don't know what celebration he did I can't believe it hasn't come more of like a craze. Like, it hasn't... Like caught back on as a popular dance move at like parties or like bar mitzvahs or something. Just like yeah. a funny joke. Exactly. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna play um, the clip here. We'll kind of narrate for you. McCoy end zone passes. It's the Redskins. Redskins. Sorry, Redskins. This Trey Quinn. Trey Quinn. And he jumps to the left, shakes that thing, ties that yarn. That's how you do the scar. Wow. So you should Google it. It was subtle too. Like it's not. Yeah, he did a shortened version of the scar. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he jumped to the left and jumped to the right, but how brilliant is that when the office makes it into the NFL? That's funny. Yeah. And the final trivia question I had for you is: in that bar scene, there are four office workers who are playing a bachelorette party. Can mm-hmm. you name all four women? Meredith. Right. I'll name you from left to right because wow. Meredith's all the way on the left. Yep. Then Phyllis. Then Karen. That's right. Karen and then Philippelli. there's Angela. That's right. Four for four. Very good. I thought the, the weirdest inclusion there is Angela because how do you talk Angela from accounting and into then being in a silly in movie? In the deleted, like the, yep. the extended scenes that we're going to play for you later. But one of them is Angela like says something very like sexual Vulgar, to Michael. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, how in the world did they get her to do that? Mm-hmm. That's it for my trivia. You got any for me? I got some for you. Okay. okay. Can you name so the when they walk into the conference room to watch the movie, everyone's like lounging around eating popcorn. Mm-hmm. Can you name another time when popcorn is brought into the <laughs> conference room? I believe it was called Movie Monday or something like that. Previously on Varsity Blues. <laughs> right. Right. You're absolutely right. And Kevin gets the uh, But was that the one where Pam comes in with like a dozen or Aaron yes. comes in with a dozen microwave popcorn and says, who wants popcorn? And Michael says, me, me please. please. Yeah. And then and no one else. No. And then she has to <laughs> sit down with the huge tray of popcorn that has taken like 15 minutes to pop all those like 
Yeah. But whatever. Uh, kernels. When Michael is describing the movie to Holly, mm-hmm. he says, it's got blank. It's got blank. Oh. And it's got a lot of blank. It's got heart. No That's heart. the second one. Okay. Yes. It's got... The last one is me. It's got a whole lot of me, right? Like Michael. So that, that's like, that doesn't count. that's the second line. Like she says, oh, okay, it's got okay. you. That's not the answer to your question. Oh, I don't know. Humor. No. Comedy. No. Okay. You'll be surprised. I got this one. So right. it's got action. Okay. Yep. It's got heart. Yep. And it's got symbolism. <laughs> Can you believe? <laughs> what? I can't think he of legitimately a says that. less symbolism. That's funny. That's a good one, Griff. Okay. And then the final one to do the scarn. Billy cues this little kid to go hit what on the jukebox? Oh, that's really tough. But I think it starts with a G. It's G. Six? G9. Oh. <laughs> hit wow. G9 on the jukebox. Yeah, you really got to really know, but that's deep trivia. Well, I got half of it. That was pretty good. Yeah, well, that reminds me of when Griff and I and his, his buddy Brendan did an office trivia night at a pub, which no, doesn't exist anymore, but thanks to the coronavirus, stupid thing. We went and... We got that in under the wire. That was one of the last public gatherings in America. Yeah, you know, I mean, true. And we we came forth, which was great. But the you asking me the jukebox number is something only a diehard fan would. We came so close to. I came close to that one. We think came so close to coming up with the the best country and western radio station in Scranton, which is only mentioned barely like twice in the. I don't think seat. it's actually mentioned by word. I think it's just the sticker on Dwight. Just caught. A, I just was rewatching an episode where. Jim actually says it. Really? Yeah, I forget why, but you don't. He just says it in passing to somebody like, should we call Froggy 101 or something? Mm-hmm. So, of course, in the pub contest, I blurted out Froggy 103, and for some reason that sounded good enough to all of us. We missed it by two digits. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. We would have come on like second in the whole thing. Right. Or like tied for second. Yeah, although they made a scoring error that boosted us up at the end. But we don't we, tell anyone We that. felt we deserved it. <laughs> all right, so... We are, at, is that it for trivia? That's it for trivia. Okay, for so, so now we're on to, of course, the next segment. It's the MVP section where we pick the most valuable player of the episode. I'll go first. Mm-hmm. Kept it simple, Michael. It's, Agreed. It's, it's, it's a passion project. One of the reasons why it's so brilliant is... He well, the MVP is Michael, but the Michael, of course, is played by Steve Carell. And I'm just thinking of what Steve had Carell had to do for this episode. He has to act like Michael Scott, and then he has to act poorly in Threat Level Midnight because, of course, Michael Scott is a poor actor. Isn't that weird? I'm going to actually touch on that later. Oh, you are my okay. hot takes. Okay, um, but I totally agree with what you're saying. I gave my MVP not to Michael. I gave it to Michael Scarn. Ooh. Which Nicely is kind of subjective, played, my friend. Thank you. Yes, um, yes. Michael Scarn's one of his only episodes in the entire season and the entire show, in fact, and he kills it. Yeah, he saves the NHL All Star game. He does. And of course, Threat Level Midnight's the NHL All Star game when Michael's like a great skater, and this is the one that we get to see. You know what I mean? I know. Yeah, comically in the in the show, he works out to become and becomes. Even though he's apparently in his forties, he, he becomes one of the best hockey players, the hottest, <laughs> the uh, hottest, right? The hockey players in the country, right? He is mentioned in he's mentioned in one of the episodes we've already covered in Dinner Party, where Michael just as an aside is making a James Bond reference, and then he f- couples it by going Michael Scarn, like he's going to shoot yeah. you. And then there's another episode which I don't know if we'll get to later, but Threat Level Midnight is previewed 
really early in the season, like maybe season two Mm -hmm. in the episode called The Client, where Pam discovers the script for Threat Love of Midnight. It seems to have changed since that day. There's a lot of seasons in between. Anyway, deep office trivia. So MVP and yeah, so so we're back to matching, I guess. So that's pretty good. (laughs) Coming up next... It's the sleeper of the week. Why don't you go first? My sleeper is Andy Bernard. That's who I took. No way. Wow, yes, yes. You got to love it when we match. So I gave it to Andy as in both Andy Bernard and Billy the bartender. Because he has great scenes both inside the movie and out. One, the the scene when he's the bartender Mm -hmm. is just hilarious. And then one of my favorite lines of the show, of the episode, is when they pause the movie, Michael stops the movie from playing because Jim is like cracking up and then completely cans it because Holly cannot say what she liked about it. Right. And Andy says, some of us are really popping on screen. (laughs) That's, That's another reason why I gave it to him. Yeah, exactly. Let's listen to a little. So Andy Bernard as Jimmy the bartender. Billy. Billy, sorry, Billy the bartender. He's trying to play this like this old-timey bartender from some old movie. It's a horribly hackneyed performance, but that's it's supposed to be, and it's hilarious. Let's listen to... My TV don't work. I pay 30 bucks a month for the damn satellite. What's a who's it? Can't even get the damn game. Hey, you tell me. What's worse than that? <sighs> don't ever change, Billy. <laughs> Golden and then he gets he later gets Michael to get up and do the dance the scar, which... Saves Michael Scarn. Gets his confidence back. Arguably, this is another one of those moments where you wonder what would have happened if Stanley didn't start laughing? What would have happened Mm -hmm. if Billy didn't hit Gene on the jukebox because Michael Scarn wouldn't have saved the NHL All-Star game? We would have no NHL All-Star game, just like real life. No (laughs) NHL All-Star game. Or did they already do it this year? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a hockey guy. All right. We've done those. When we come back, we'll play a deleted scene. This is a special deleted scene because it's, in a way, it's not even a deleted scene. Kind of is, because it isn't, but you'll enjoy it. Right now, I want to tell you about pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. We produce this podcast and many others, typically out of our Westwood studio, but now working 100% remotely. You can record a podcast from the confines of your home. We'll send you out a free USB microphone, a quality one, too, if you want to get started and work with us and hire us to produce your podcast. Go to pod617.com for all the information. Now's the time to connect with your clients. They're at home. They're sitting there at home. They're waiting for you. They're, they will listen to you if you speak. Pod617.com. Be part of the pod revolution in pod we trust. The delete. So do you want to explain to people, or should I, about... What's weird about the delete? We went searching for deleted scenes and we found something different. There's no the- real deleted scenes right. video for this. What they do have, I think it's called like the extended version of yeah, Threat Love of Midnight. On the web, it says full movie exclusive. Now, I don't know if this is put out by NBC or not, but I had written down among possible quibbles or shroots with the, our, our, for our podcast that there should be an actual long version of Threat Level Midnight. And when we came upon this thing, it's only 24 minutes long. So I said to myself, well, an episode of The Office is 22, 23 minutes long. But you astutely, Griff, pointed out that they've lifted out all the, the parts of this episode where that actually take place in the office and not on the film Threat right. Like Midnight. So you get this. It's probably about twice the footage, don't you think? It's got to be. For like every one to two scenes that you 
for every scene that you see that you are familiar with, there's like a little bit extra. Right. And then there's a couple extra scenes everywhere too. Right. So they pieced it together as a real, well, I want to say a real movie. It's not a real movie. <laughs> it's Michael Scott's uh, movie that he created, but it, it plays as a regular movie. You don't see any cutaways back to the office, back to quote unquote real life. And this will we'll play the scene when Michael Scarn goes to the president, is summoned by the president to thwart Golden Face. It goes kind of like this. Scarn, you're right on time. What's the situation, President Jackson? It's your old enemy, Golden Face. As you're aware, Golden Face tried to blow up the NFL All-Star Game, the Baseball All-Star Game, and the NBA All-Star Game. You stopped him every time. <laughs> then you took one day off to run a 20K with your friend Robin Williams. <laughs> one day off. That was the day of the WNBA All-Star Game. Oh, see, game. it's all explained. You don't know what happened then. <laughs> My wife was in that game. Now he's out. <laughs> oh, I didn't even pick that up. I didn't even. He's hitting the bomb somewhere in the stadium. Scar, this one is personal for me. I own the stadium. <laughs> Which, of course, makes no sense. Wait, so point. his wife was a WNBA yeah, player? Yeah, I, I didn't notice that the first time around either. So in the original episode, the one we're reviewing right now, we know that Golden Face killed his wife, Catherine Zeta, who has been named Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah. And we know that, so we know, and we know that Golden Face mocks Michael for killing her and you mm-hmm. know tries to yes uh, needle him about that but we didn't know that Catherine doesn't <laughs> say to jones in addition to being a great actress actually i guess she was a great uh basketball player in the world of michael scarn also we figured out that the reason he couldn't protect her was because he was running a 20k <laughs> with his friend robin williams <laughs> as oh, you God. do yeah who would you say michael scott's greatest heroes are my they're all like comedy right you know yeah. one that I'm thinking of, right? Let me put it to you. The saddest day is the day when this person dies. You don't remember? Ed Truck? A comedian that is Michael Scott's favorite. You don't remember about, did I ever tell you about the day Steve Martin died? Oh. Yeah, remember that? It was, it was the day, it was the Michael Scott paper company was failing and they were broke. And Michael says to Pam and Ryan, did I ever tell you about the day Steve Martin died? And they said, Michael, Steve Martin's still alive. He goes, I know, but I always thought the day Steve Martin died would be the worst day of my life, and I'm wrong. It's this one. <laughs> anyway, he also loves Robin Williams. He puts him in the tag of his of his home movies that he the one he made for corporate. What does it say? Great Scott. Yeah, right. Great Scott. And you see, I think you see Robin Williams and Steve Martin's face. Anyway, we digress. We digress. So there's your deleted scene. Go check out the whole movie. It's yeah, really yeah, definitely. You can see why they cut out a lot of the scenes. Like they're just weird to a certain point. Like yep. the it's funny because the scenes that you see in the show itself of the edited version of Threat Level Midnight, you think those scenes are far fetched. But then if you go even deeper into the real movie, right. they're like ridiculous. Like it's horrible acting in those ones. Right as they're showing the members of the office react to this thing. And I think in the scene where Michael gets frustrated and walks out, or maybe it doesn't, that doesn't matter. Anyway, you can hear the, the camera pans to people outside of the conference room, but you can still hear the dialogue of threat level midnight going on. Yes. And the dialogue is between whoever Pam is playing in golden face. And she says, how did your face get all gold? When he starts, it's like a tender scene. And as I'm watching that, I, I, I was scribbling down. I go, I wish we could see that scene. And then we did. It's in this extended uh, version. So Google that, people. You will enjoy it. I really. Oops. Okay. 
Wow, you really shrewded that one. I really shrewded it. Yes. Let me shrewd it again. I really shrewded it. All right. We're up to the portion of the show where we poke holes. And it's amazing. We're going to be able to poke holes in Threat Level Midnight. But let's do it. I don't have as many as I normally do. I have a lot, actually. Do you? Okay. So what do you got? You want to go first? Sure. First, we we kind of went over this, that the timetable of Threat Level Midnight yeah. doesn't really make sense, that he's done 10 years of just like editing, reshooting, and shooting, and casting, and stuff like that, and writing. But the we see the screenplay in season two. Mm-hmm. Like the, the whole timetable doesn't work. It makes my head hurt. Just yeah, I know. We don't have to go through all the details. But yeah, but to say, suffice it to say, I think what you're saying is, Michael said there was 10 years of making the movie and 10 years simply hadn't passed between unless the world of the office timeline is different than the real world of the office. It's probably more like six or seven years. Yeah. So that's a good one. Okay. Another one is the scene when they're in the white house, presumably, but it's actually the conference room. You can tell it's the conference room based off the shape of the room and where the, but behind Daryl in the the back, there's a window. Mm -hmm. That window doesn't exist in the conference room. Mm Mm-hmm. Really? And I'll take your word for it. Yeah. And the inside the window, it's like a flowery field, which just isn't there because it's a wall. Mm-hmm. So it, it must be a fake window, but it looks like a real window to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. There's a lot of, oh, by the way, that scene, I'd written that down as they actually did a pretty good job dressing up the conference room. There's so as, many as like White flags House. in there. There's like the huge desk in there. Yeah. They put a lot of crap in there. So it, it actually, it, if you look really quickly and they get a presidential rug, that's one of the shirts I hit or it's a quasi shirt. It's like, how did Michael have the money to, to make yeah. this movie? And it is low budge, but in some places it's actually not low budge. Like, uh, the most expensive shot of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You go ahead, buddy. A lot of the movie itself has like stuff that doesn't make sense within it. But I feel like you can't point that out as shrewding it just because that's Michael's poor movie making skills. Exactly. Which is why I think we don't have as many as usual, many shooting. Yeah, I think usual. that's it. I went to write it down. I'm like, well, no, that's because Michael's an idiot. And this is the movie he made. I have two more. One. So Michael says that they filmed the NHL all-star game during an actual Scranton all-star right. game, uh, actual Scranton high school game, like playoff game or something, a uh, playoff game or, when they had a perfect season. Right. And he says, and they say, oh, like, it's great. It's great. And he says, no, it's not great. Like, the, they got their whole season forfeited because mm-hmm. I went on to the, because I went on. Do you think that just having one spectator go on to the, the, the ice yeah. would, like, warrant an entire forfeiting of the season for a team? Yeah. Actually, you're right. And that's not a mistake made within the movie. Exactly. That's, that's, that's something a, that's that he a, that's claims is real life. Sure. Yeah, my answer is that no way. They wouldn't. How? <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe you just get him off the ice and get on with the game. That's right. a good one. That's a good one. And then my last one is that this is just within the movie too, but I felt the need to point it out. Mm-hmm. Golden Face in the, the last scene has money in his hands in the briefcase and he's mm-hmm. like looking over it and then the puck lands in his lap. The The stadium never blew up. So Daryl never got, the president never got the insurance money. So Golden Face never would have right. gotten paid. So how does he have all that money yeah. that presumably the president gave to him? That doesn't make That's sense. That's a good point. Yeah. Where did he get the money? Exactly. Yeah. Those are pretty good. Thanks. Those are pretty good. I just have, before I get to my shooting it, I have a picked up uh, piece of trivia. Michael mentions to Holly all the things he's proud about, including this movie. And one of them is his HBO comedy special. Do you remember what it's Here called? Here I go again. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. 
<laughs> Can you name what his book is? Somehow I managed. Correct. And on the cover, which is mentioned in other episodes too, and on the cover it, it has Michael in a sport coach shrugging or something. <laughs> yeah, like somehow I managed. Like it's wonderful, delicious cliche. And uh, then you see it in Goodbye Michael. He that's gives right. it to Daryl. Right. It's un- unfinished, but he gives it to him. Can you name what the first chapter is? It's something like everybody likes the guy who always has gum. Who offers a stick <laughs> of gum. <laughs> he's not wrong no he's right he's right i don't know if that's genius but i don't know if it warrants a book right exactly (laughs) all right here are my shrooting it's one is yeah it's it's more of a quasi shroot but bad choice to have jim dress up in in total spandex as golden face to try to be the assassin on the ice because first of all he looked like john krasinski is like a good looking dude he's like uh Mm -hmm. people love him didn't he look horribly dorky in that? Like, like maybe, maybe that was the point, but I, I, like it was a weird choice. And then when he goes to throw the gun at Michael Scarn, he throws like a girl. I'm sorry, there's no other way to put it. Like he, he just yeah. flips it out there very strangely. And I get that it's Michael's bad movie making, but I don't know why you needed that. Anyway, th- this might be something you can answer, but when Golden Face is, is that the scene I'm talking about where in. Uh, incredible fashion, Michael has a chance to be on the U.S. Olympic speed skating team and competing with Golden Face and some character played by Oscar. So during that scene, we had already seen Golden Face capture the hostages. So who's watching the hostages while Golden Face is racing? And it's like days, he's like, Michael Scarn has trained like months for this. Exactly. So the hostages are just under the stadium for months as you wait for the all-star game. Yeah, something didn't add up unless it was a flashback, but we're never told it's a flashback. So that's a little bit of time problem. Another thing like that is that they have this whole shooting gun scene right on the ice as Oscar and Ryan are presumably watching but i know they never comment on it at all no they just award right just gives the award to <laughs> these to two Oscar. guys are shooting at each know, other point blank again that's a beef with threat level minute i guess not so much the office so that was one other one i had and maybe my final one i don't know there's something weird about the shot kind of early in the episode where michael says we tried to do an early screening, but it didn't go well. And Jim and Pam in a talking head off, off uh, in the conference room, they say, we thought it was a comedy. And everything pointed to it being everything a comedy. Everything pointed to it being a comedy. But in that shot, you see you see only the permanent members of the cast. There's something too convenient about it. And, what, and where was he in the progress of shooting it that he showed that? I don't know. It's, it's I actually reason, thought that... I, w- I was thinking about that scene because they were all wearing different clothes in that right, scene. Right. It was supposed to be years earlier, but, how, but I don't know how many. Is it possible they recorded that just like one day in the office? And then they said, all right, we're just going to have you guys sit here. We're going to record you laughing at this movie, at right. this TV screen. And Michael's going to butt out begrudgingly yeah. and take the movie with him. And then do you think that was like, like, I know I'm going deep into this, but yep. like if that happened to me as an actor, I would have thought it'd be like a big thing. Like, when are we going to see that? like scene that oh. we recorded like years ago. Oh, I, I, right. I would presume that they shot it during the production of threat level midnight. They just had them change costs. Right. But if they did it before, right. it'd be funny because you yeah. can also see if their clothes match with like a different episode of the office. Yeah. I don't know. I'm diving deep here. I I know, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. It, this, in theory, there should be another episode where they're wearing those clothes. Maybe there are, maybe there is, that's interesting. But 
the other thing with this is it brings back the former members of the cast that have departed, like Karen Filippelli and Jan. Right. And is there another one? I forget. Well, Pam's mom is in the That's movie. the other one. Yeah. That's what makes Threat Love of Midnight so much fun. It's the home movie, Michael Scott. My last shooting it is just, it's, it's, it's a real nitpick, but they shoot the, they turn the conference room into the Oval Office. They turn the warehouse apparently into the jazz bar, the funky cat. I, I seem to think that's because it, it looked a little bit like the warehouse looked in the episode okay. called Casino Night. But where did they shoot the bar scene? Like, I want to know what, how it's Michael. It's not the same bar as in the finale that Kevin buys. Right. It so doesn't, it's just it doesn't, completely it, different. It doesn't look like poor Richards, really. So, how did Michael have the money to rent an entire bar no to idea shoot that scene I and it was know. like nice if you look in yeah. the 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 seats in the back they're like leather like seating it's not a crummy bar that he just like went in for 50 bucks like it's a nice place and exactly to rent the whole thing out exactly all right that's it for shooting it all right you you got another one or no no that's it for me okay so let's put the bacon on the george foreman grill there it is and watch out for your foot and it's time for the george foreman grill hot take of the week my hot take, going back to when you said Michael was so good in this episode because he like dumbed down his acting for Michael Scarn. Mm-hmm. My hot take is that Dwight is the best actor in the office. The character Dwight is the best actor <laughs> in the office. Good. This is good. Yeah. So Rain Wilson mm-hmm. plays Dwight, right. but Dwight has to play Samuel. <laughs> right. I think Dwight is the best because he dumbed down his acting much more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And... He has parts where he like stumbles over words. He's like, who is the funky cat? Right. And then he says like, we've searched the whole building, golden face. Where's the bomb? And then he makes him repeat it twice. He's like, okay. Like, and he gives up. But I think he like stumbles over his words and he like pauses as like a paper salesman would in a movie, Mm -hmm. just like thrown into an acting job. Right. That's my opinion. That That, White's the best actor. That's good. That was one of my hot takes was that the bad acting equals good acting i wrote in other words yeah so so and michael is probably the best at it because he delivers some of his lines with such clumsiness mm-hmm. and like overacting and everything so the other one is just that michael scott has a weird fascination with billy joel that only comes out now and again right and it came out if you have to listen, but the two of the songs featured in Threat Level Midnight, maybe the only two songs other than the theme song at the end, yeah. are Billy Joel songs, one of which is Pressure, which is, it seems to be Michael Scott wanting to be cool, and I love Billy Joel. He's one of my favorites, but he's not cool. He's just, he's yeah. just not. There's an author, Chuck Klosterman, who has a famous essay about the day he discovered that Billy Joel wasn't cool, and it kind of shattered his youth. <laughs> but again, love him, but if you're doing an action movie, it's the first action movie ever to feature a Billy Joel song. So it features pressure, which is at least kind of on point. The other song, do you know what the other song features? It's, it's called Running on Ice. And, and Adrian and, loves it. Yeah, it, it, our, your brother Adrian loves it. And But it was not a hit. It's kind of a deep cut for, for Billy Joel. And so I just think it's funny. Yeah, both of these songs aren't like popular, like the most right, popular yeah. Billy Joel songs. It's oh, kind correct, of yeah. weird that he goes into such depth for those. And you mentioned in a previous episode that Dwight plays the longest time on his flute at one point. I feel like there might even be another Billy Joel reference in the office that I'm forgetting. By the way, it completely non sequitur, or at least a half sequitur. 
Have you, Griff, have you seen the docuseries called McMillions? Have you watched that yet? No, I haven't. All right, so this is completely off topic, but if you haven't watched it, absolutely watch it. I forget where it's streaming somewhere. Just look it up, people. But McMillions, it's a multi-part documentary about this scam that happened by a guy being able to pry away the winning Monopoly little mini tickets that, that McDonald's gave out and sell them, and it was this big scheme. But I, I noticed at the very end of it, as the closing credits rolled they played the the song easy money by billy joel which i hadn't heard in forever it was the theme song to a forgettable rodney dangerfield movie and that is way more information than anyone out there ever needs so use it as you will we're almost to the end of this episode griff of our pod we do want more there's more billy joel references really what do you got there well Ryan's, or crack, or crack sorry, us. I've opened Reddit while you were talking. Oh, good. No, you're doing show research. Ryan started the fire. That's right. How could we forget? We just talked about that in the last episode. Dwight plays the longest time in his recorder. Yep. Michael quotes, you may be right in conversation with Pam. You may be right. I may be crazy. But just just may be a lunatic. I don't know. I don't remember specifically. I'm sure he does it, but Jim mentions a Billy Joel edition of Rock Band. Mm, yeah, because he was trying to tempt Michael by saying, come on, we'll get you the Billy Joel, something like this. Oh, rock band. Yeah. And Michael goes, they have that? Or <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what happened, which is hilarious because there shouldn't be a Billy Joel oh, rock band. that's when they're trying to get him to come to dinner, right? Because they're Maybe. worried about him. Oh, it, was it they're trying to get him to come out with Pam's mom, that storyline? No. no. Maybe it's when... Oh, it's when he's cheated. It's when he is having the affair and he's oh, uh, yeah. presumably still seeing what's her face from, from Dave and Buster's. Buster's. <laughs> we never and, remember her name. Yeah. And they're like trying to lure him to see if he'll come out mm-hmm. to dinner with Pam and Jim. And they, they said like, the, we'll get you Billy Joel rock band. They have that. <laughs> um, <laughs> running on ice and pressure were played during the hockey scenes and they're at level midnight. Right. Roy sings what at the wedding with his his new wife oh she's got away that's right wow we could do a whole thing that's pretty good yeah so either the writers of of the office are either poking fun of billy joel they just like billy joel i don't know as far as i can tell with a quick look on the internet there is no wait a minute hold on hold on oh my god we're going real deep here we'll only spend one more minute on this i promise <laughs> but i've just on something remarkable this is an article i'm reading from 2010 courtesy of kotaku.com the Piano Man is bringing some of his biggest hits to MTV Games and Harmonix Rock Band game, arguably the best reason to pick up a copy of Rock Band 3's new keyboard controller. Ten tracks from Billy Joel, including Big Shot, Captain Jack, Still Rock and Roll to Me, and Pressure. The addition of the keyboard mode made it into, I don't know, I guess there's a keyboard on this thing. Rock Band, to me, is the guitar thing. But Billy Joel, this is amazing. I can't believe we're just learning this. Listen to this, Griff. Billy Joel tells USA Today that he agreed to bring his music to rock band after reading an Entertainment Weekly review of the NBC sitcom The Office. The critic reportedly wrote a gag referencing Billy Joel's inclusion in a rock band game. God forbid that should ever happen. So I called it. This is Billy Joel quoting being quoted. So I called my people and said, get me on that rock band game. (laughs) Then. I wrote the critic saying that every time I get a check, I'll give him a little nod. Wow. It, wow. It confirms that Billy Joel is kind of a dank because he, he did it out of vengeance, apparently. That's funny, though. That uh, so, so I get it now. The, a columnist said that Billy Joel rock band, God forbid that should ever happen. And so it did. You get you heard it here first on That's What They Said. And those are uh, our hot takes, right? Now we're, we're on to Dundies. We're on to Dundies. 
I wonder if I have one. You go first, girl. My oh, Dundee I for, I, I try to keep the alliteration going. The least supportive lover goes to <laughs> Holly Flax because I hate Holly in this episode Ooh, because yeah. Holly's not supportive. She can't name one thing that she likes about the movie. When Michael turns to her, says, do you like it? She's like, which part? And then when Michael goes in to talk to her, she's all like, really, this is your only dream. Like, this is your only good thing going on in your life. Like, all she wants to hear is that she's good in her life, too. And she can't, like, slow down and say, like, oh, I appreciate your dream. This is just my biased opinion because I love Michael Scott. Right. But then she comes back and she's like, no, it is good. Like, it is good. And then right. Michael's the bigger man and says, no, it's not good. Like, but they like it. Um, yeah, it's true. She couldn't humor him even a little bit. Although I'll say this, the actor, Amy Ryan, played that really well when Michael says, do you like it? Do you like the movie? Right, she, right. She, she goes, mm, which part? And you yeah. can just, like normally that wouldn't be such a bad thing to say, like, oh, which part? But the way she says it, you can tell she's disinterested. Mm -hmm. She's completely faking any interest. And, That's a great call. Yep. So you got any more Dundies or you want me to do? That's it for me. Okay. So my first Dundee goes to worst cinematic driver and that's michael scott because this is a scene where he's supposed to be driving and it's just this well-played like totally horribly shot meaning amateurish which is what it's supposed uh -huh. to be the rain is it's raining is right? he's fake. got the windshield yeah. wipers going yeah and he's what he's driving he's got his hands on the steering wheel but he's jerking them back and forth ever so slightly like every other second just to show that and he's um, like shaking like he's going up and down yeah exactly my other one goes to Best random guy. I can't think of a good name for this one. And it goes to Ryan's friend, Ryan's diminutive friend. Yeah. First, first scene in the episode Night Out. Is that what it's called? Boys Night Out or something like that? Something like that. Yeah. When when they go off, Ryan, and, sorry, they, Jim. Wow. Too many characters on The Office. Dwight and Michael go and surprise Ryan in the city and they immediately meet meet like ryan's corporate yeah, ryan friend. says like whenever you're in town like stop by and i'll show you a good time or something like that right and then they show up one day they just go to new york right and we meet this friend and doesn't white call him like a gremlin or he, something no he thinks he's you resemble a token character like he like <laughs> he, he thinks he's a, a hobbit or, or some he thinks he ha, he actually thinks he has magical powers yeah and so we never necessarily think we're going to see that guy again but he pops up twice more in the show once in the episode known as Junior Salesman, which is a pretty underrated episode where Dwight tries to hire a new salesperson, brings in every weird friend that we've ever seen him consort with, including, for some reason, including this guy, including mm -hmm. Ryan's old friend. And then Ryan's little strange friend is also in this episode as a henchman and plays it perfectly because he's the kind of person you would see in like James Bond or Austin Powers for yeah. that matter, like a mini me type. I just looked this up. The, the actor's name is Troy Underbridge, a fictional character in The Office. He's in the deposition. He's seen briefly typing on his BlackBerry alongside Ryan. So that means I guess he's an employee of, of Dunder Mifflin Corporate. I, I guess, guess that so. makes sense. Troy accompanies Ryan on his night out clubbing, but abandons him. Do you remember what he says when he abandons Ryan after Ryan has a meltdown in the club? Like, don't take him to the hospital. Exactly right. Do not take him to a hospital. Dwight insists that he looks like a hobbit. He asks him, do you live in a regular size house? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right. Well, man, action-packed episode of our pod here, per usual. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, we covered everything, right, Griff? We had all the categories and whatnot. Yeah, we did. We did. All right. 
Griff's tired. He has to go do, uh, I don't know, something for college or something. And we thank you. Share it. Hit share. Tell me you like. The Office never departs from the news. As we record this, John Krasinski just sent something out as a feel-good message during the coronavirus quarantine era that we live in. And did you see this yet, Griff? With Steve Carell. Yeah, so he invited Steve Carell on this kind of fake news show, but but in very sweet they recounted some memories favorite office memories so the office is so the for the fan of the office tell them about that's what they said a production of pod617.com the boston podcast network we are down to now mind you folks one episode remains for our top 10 but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what they said is going away we may take a different tack right, right? or we might get bored and blow it off but no we'll probably find a different way to analyze the office I hope you enjoy all the episodes. Go back and listen to them. And so, on behalf of Griff, my name is Dave. And Griff, why don't you pose some questions for our audience as we depart? I'll ask everyone, why is it always the All-Star Games? Who is the funky cat? And why does he have a golden face? Why? Because Because that's that's what they said! said. (laughs) That's what they said!